Hi, my name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and your fellow trauma nerd. This is an interview I did with Jill Miller. She is a very intense, really fun, super trauma nerd. Um, she is able to combine yoga with the polyvagal theory, an area where I just simply wasn't able to. So having her on was absolutely perfect. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I did talking with her. She's absolutely amazing. Links are in the description to a whole bunch of stuff that we talk about. I'm really happy that we connected. I, I don't know if this was on purpose or what, but I literally was looking for, is it called a yogi or someone who's a yoga instructor? I, this is so new to me, and you'll find that out if you haven't already, that I was looking for someone who was polyvagal informed, and you, yeah. you and I happened to connect through DM. It was just purely by chance, I think. I don't know. But I was super excited that we had connected that way, and I'm like, oh, perfect, because I was looking for someone. I mean, I've been following your podcast. I mean, I'm I'm always scouring podcasts for anything new with Dr. Porges. Yeah. And so I guess on a random search, I just decided to put in, you know, the word polyvagal and your podcast popped up and I'm like, oh, there's a guy just doing <laughs> polyvagal theory. Like, this is perfect. Perfect. Um, so, yeah. And so I started following you from the beginning. And I mean, I've been, uh, I haven't caught all of the episodes uh, I'm not a, a school educator, so even though I do have, I just finally have a child in kindergarten, so I'm much more interested in the education stuff now, all there of a go. sudden, now that we're in public schools. Um, yeah. But I appreciate that you're putting this information out there and just trying to generate it to a broad audience. Totally. I think that we, from what I gather, you feel the same sort of compulsion or pull towards. Yes. Okay, so we're definitely uh, in the same boat there, I think. No, it literally is, I feel like, born again in terms of my understanding of my physiology. I mean, it's always been something I've been after. It's everything that I've been after with all the practices that I do, which I'm sure we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about at some point. Um, but polyvagal theory helped me to understand um, what I was pursuing in, in terms of my own self-regulation um, with the types of movement practices that I engage in. Um, also, where my developmental breakdowns have been, you know, because when you start to understand polyvagal theory, you understand all of the attachment, uh, the attachment wounds or the traumas, and, um, and then the physiological consequences or the diagnostic consequences um, of different um, relationships to disease in 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 your body or in other people's bodies so there's just been there's been a lot that he's covered for me and i'm so grateful that i came across the work a little over four years ago and i'm only i'm way newer than that for me it's been a bit over a year and so many people are picking it up and running with it and applying to different practices like yoga and I, we will absolutely be getting into that but let's start off super simple this is for people like me that really are starting from scratch um i Actually, I don't even want to say I get the idea with yoga because if, and this doesn't seem like a good idea, but if I were to use Instagram as a way to find out what yoga is, oh, I, no. I, <laughs> I don't think it'd be an accurate representation. It seems like a lot of waterfalls in the background or beautiful locations with what looks like people posing. But that does, And then I look at yours and it's like work. And I see you interacting with people and teaching. And it's a much different flavor than when I was looking at with the other Right. Yo, Instagram yoga personalities. So yeah. what is yoga? How would you put that for just pure newbies like me? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I'm probably the worst person to ask that question because uh, my history with yoga started at age 11. 
and, and took a radical detour around age 30, age 31, when I realized um, that I had tribalized myself so much, I'd cut myself off from so much of the rest of the world um, by being myopic about yoga practices um, and being engaged with yoga community exclusively. And that's a whole, like, that's a whole other thing that I deal with with my therapist, like why okay. I, right? Like yeah. my myopic vision of yoga as a panacea. And, um, and so I'm, I'm probably the worst person to ask, well, Jill, what is yoga? Um, <laughs> cause I can give you, I can give you lots of definitions of what I thought, you know, what I thought it was. And I can also talk about the virtues of, of yoga, yoga practices, yeah. the different aspects of yoga. If there's one or two things I had to know about yoga, what yes. would that be for you? Um, I would say that a, a generalization is that yoga practices, and there are many different, um, uh, modes of practice within the, the greater yoga is it is a tremendous uh, tool for self-reflection and self-awareness. And it it does use your body and your physiology as a tool for that awareness. But part of the yoga, uh, the limbs of yoga, so yoga has eight different branches. And one of those is, is service, is being of service to others. And, um, and, you know, engagement with the, the with, with the greater world. So it, it isn't just practices of movement, breath, um, uh, meditation that build this higher awareness. It really is a relational, uh, interactive type of, uh, enterprise. And in, in the West, um, most people, when they, if you would type in yoga on Instagram, what you'll really see is physical exercise, but there's, yeah parts of yoga that are just actually about using your eyes to look at incredible geometry, uh, geometrical shapes to transcend um, different aspects of consciousness and um, leap to higher realms of awakening and so on. There's also um, ecstatic types of yoga where you're just doing chanting practices, um, either through song or through um, just uh, uh, verbal repetition or recitation. Um, that also uh, mimics the types of chants that you would see among monks from many different disciplines. So it's a very comprehensive um, self uh, self awareness art and science building thing. And so that's why we're like, I want to talk about yoga. It's like, uh, which part of it <laughs> you want to talk about? Because wow, there's okay. so much to it. I before hearing that, honestly, and this is. Oh, this is my ignorance in it. It looks like stretching and posing. And yeah. that's not supposed to be sarcastic or like, that's literally like when I look at it, I'm like, okay, they're stretching and posing in front of beautiful places. Yes. And yes. But that's obviously, there's a lot more to it. That we there's don't, a lot more to it. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I, I'd love to talk about the physiological and the physical aspects. And I certainly have, have made my living educating people about anatomy and physiology and, um, and, and helping people to get to know their, their soma better so that, um, that is a primary tool for, for self-awareness and, and being. So how does yoga benefit someone who's down the polyvagal ladder, who's more of a stuck yeah. defensive state? How, how does this uh, help? So I, you know, I've spent the last 10 days since you and I connected really trying to think about the scope of yoga and polyvagal theory. Um, and the first, the first thing I want to do is refer you all, because I know there's probably a lot of nerds that listen to this. Prominent polyvagal um, nerds, yep, yep, yep. Yes, to a recent uh, research paper that was 
um, authored by a colleague of mine, Marlisa Sullivan, along with Dr. Porges. Mm. And yes, it's a beautiful article that talks about um, the koshas. So the koshas and the gunas. So here, here it gets very into esoteric terminology, but it's really about um, uh, sort, sort of sheaths of being uh, in, the, in, in the human, according to Ayurvedic philosophy. And Ayurveda, by the way, is the sister medical science to yoga. So if you've ever heard about Ayurvedic practices, um, it is... Yeah, I've heard is, the word, yeah. Within the scope of yoga practices, you know, Ayurveda would be the, the medical or the clinical uh, part that takes into account you know, nutrition and herbs and your constitution. So anyway, okay. um, I would refer all everybody to this article because it does a really great job of explaining these um, constitutional um, beingnesses of of a person according to Ayurvedic science, which let's just call it yogic science, um, and it mashes it up with polyvagal theory. And I wish I had reread that before I talked to you. That was a big mistake. Um, <laughs> but one of the things, I actually have it in one of my talks and I have pictures with it, but I'm blanking on a lot of the details right now. But one of the things that um, Marlisa uh, points out in the article is, I'm not going to use the Sanskrit terms because I can't remember them now, um, is that the, when you know, we're thinking of uh, dorsal, sympathetic, or, or ventral, those are really clearly defined in these, um, in these koshas or these gunas. I hope I'm getting that Sanskrit right. But there's also these blended states. And that was something that um, I really appreciated jumping out of that article because it made um, it made some of my understanding of blended polyvagal states even more concrete from a, a yogic perspective. So when we're talking about yoga practices, um, there there's different ways of practicing. One, you can practice just by yourself, um, but also you can practice with a teacher or a community. And so um, I'd like to address the teacher or community part because those are aspects that can really help uh, someone who is in a dorsal shutdown state um, help to also toggle in some of that ventral relational yeah. stuff, right? So sure, um, sure. following um, excellent cueing, following supportive cueing would be an engaged uh, listening uh, ventral vagal while you're doing things that are extremely subtle, um, are extremely downregulating. Now, so some, of, so here's what's confusing. Some of yoga practices are extremely energizing and uplifting, which would be a more ventral, vagal, sympathetic blend. Um, right. And then others are literally actually putting you into safe shutdown. I would I refer to it as safe shutdown or safe parasympathetic. Um, we even have a pose in yoga called Shavasana, which is done at the very end of class, typically. I, I often teach at the beginning um, and the end, but it's called the corpse pose. And so your body lies in perfect stillness right? Yeah. Which is like, oh my God, the yeah. stillness discussion. Um, and this is a, this is kind of a virtue in the yoga space is this utter and complete stillness that your body actually replicates that of a corpse. And you're deliberately, um, attempting in many ways to slow down, deliberately slow down your metabolic processes, um, through breath position, uh, different concentration exercises, um, different mental recitations. It just depends on the features that your teacher will bring in. But this pose of Shavasana is uh, lauded for its restorational, regenerational um, 
aspects in that it should replicate the experience of sleep, although it's lucid sleep. You're aware that you are asleep. You are aware that you're um, that you can feel air circulating in between your fingers. You are aware that you can feel movement within your um, vasculature. So it brings in um, both a very subtle exteroceptive or very subtle interoceptive properties. And but that really also depends on. Uh, on the the teacher or the guidance yeah. of you know, uh, but yes, but the point is that we definitely go through the ladder in 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 any type of yoga class, whether it's my stuff, yoga tune up, or whether it's Shivananda, or whether it's Ashtanga, or whether Vinyasa, or rather powerful. There's so many different types of yoga. Um, we'll be um, visiting different stages on the ladder. I, I'm sure yes, but when someone's still in yes. that in that pose, the corpse pose. How does that become safe, though? Mm. Because laying still... That's a great question. Okay. But, I mean, I'm, I'm sure people are listening to this and saying, absolutely not. And in front of other people, no way. Yep. How does this become a safe practice for someone who has a hard time tolerating stillness and being around other people and vulnerability? So I, I can tell you what I do when I have people who have, um, you know, like stress-induced relaxation, right? The, the, it's intolerable to be to be still. Um, I will have them uh, have options of making other choices. So they can actually roll on their side in fetal position, which is a much more protective position, and be supportive, have their neck supported, have their uh, waist supported, have um, blankets. So one of the the cool things about many yoga studios is they're equipped with things called bolsters and blankets. And, you know, many blankets, um, you know, they're heavy. And so you have this feeling of being um, that those pressure, the pressure of a heavy blanket can make for some people, induce a relaxation response. Um, I also give people the option of laying face down. So there's a, an alternate pose called crocodile. And that way your, you know, your genitals, your viscera, your throat and your face are not um, exposed to the unknown of, of a strange teacher who you think you might, might trust when you're doing more amplified sympathetic practices. But once uh, once and 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 often also because the greatest relaxation response is induced in dim light or darkness, and that can also be a trigger for people, especially in stillness. So um, another option I give people is that face down, and then the other option I give them because my classes always include um, self myofascial massage with role model balls, is I can tell them that they can continue to do any self massage work or any of the work done previously in the class as long as they you know keep a quiet, uh, you know, quiet vibe. So they're not disturbing, uh, other people, or I give them the option of opting out. You don't have to, you don't have to do this. So it's, it's totally a uh, free will thing. And occasionally, um, I won't know that a person has intolerance with stillness until kind of until it's too late and I'll see their eyes open and they're just blinking and looking around. Um, and then I'll, you know, go over and I can say something to them like, you know, if, if you want to opt out of this, you can. So it's, it's just letting them know that there are choices. And so the longer people are, um, you know, in my classes, the more I get to know them constitutionally and what they're, what they feel safe with. So there are some schools of yoga where there are set uh, rigid sequences where there's no deviation um, from poses. And so it, you know, certain things are, you know, it's mandatory that you do, we call it, I mean, 
some of us call that the McDonald's kind of yoga, but there is also for some people, the predictability of a sequence is extremely relaxing. Like they know there's not going to be any unknowns. They're going to do this set every time and, and Shavasana will only be this long. And so that's also a way of managing that, that unpredictability. Um, but it's, you know, there are just, there's so many different, um, schools of yoga when we're talking about, when we're talking about like those physical practices. Um, and then, uh, you know, you can say things, people don't have to believe you. I mean, you can say things as an instructor, like this is a safe space. I mean, right. we can say that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that people are buying it. Right, right. And, um, one of our teachers, she's actually a somatic experiencing, um, practitioner, uh, Ariel, she teaches, well, she just actually, she's taking a sabbatical. She's taking a writing sabbatical and she got herself a trailer and uh, she's actually our blog mistress. So if you ever go to our blog, we have some great stuff on, on trauma on our blog too, by the way. Um, it's, you can thank Ariel for that, but she was teaching class in Brooklyn and there was, uh, a gunshot or a shooting right outside of her studio. And so that, you know, that kind of disruption is, you know, will catapult every nervous system, um, yeah. in the zone. And they didn't know what was going on. I can't remember what, I, I don't think anybody ended up being hurt outside of the studio, but I know she was able to recover the class and, um, create community and create, somehow create safety. And she's, she's just such a, a warrior yeah. in, in her leadership that she was able to do that. It sounds like there's a lot of consideration. I mean, you've mentioned lighting, blankets, external noises, the presenter. There's a lot of attention to cues of safety or cues of danger um, in, in these workshops. Absolutely. Uh, I would say that in general, yoga classes are, uh, I mean, I think we would, we as teachers would describe them as sanctuaries. Um, so that they, you know, people walk into studios and studio spaces and know that this is a place that they can let their guard down. Um, you know, I mean, people are, are clothed minim minimally. They're not wearing shoes. They're incredibly vulnerable to, um, you know, to things like that, right. To things like a gunshot outside of the studio. Um, and this is the expectation of a class. I mean, you don't have to, you can go in wearing, you can go in wearing, you know, gloves and a jacket and, you know, covered head to toe if you want. They will tell you to take your shoes off, though, because we because of the barefoot policy, we want to have a very clean floor space. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But cues of safety are. Are critical, and that is something that yoga teacher trainings, um, especially as we're, you know, in 2019, um, I think this is a, a really big point of discussion is um, is cues in general to make sure that they um, are uh, veering towards invitational and less commandful yeah. um, and and yeah and so on. I, I'm sure I'm not educating you at all about yoga, but only further yes, confusing you, you. Oh, good. <laughs> are you no? When I say I'm a newbie to this, I really mean it. Like I, this I've never done yoga, um, and I honestly for me it was like people are stretching. I don't get it. And and uh, part of my viewpoint was tainted. Now that I'm, I'm realizing this now, yeah. By, there's a show. There's a show called Excuse Me, but it's called Bullshit. Have you ever uh -huh. seen that with Penn and Teller? And they did an episode on yoga. Okay. It and the the show was called Bullshit. The premise is that what we look at in these episodes are bullshit. Okay. So they did an episode on yoga, and they said mm, it's just stretching. 
this has no value whatsoever. So I saw that years ago and I've, that's been in my mind since then. And as I'm learning about polyvagal theory, I realize that yoga has benefit. I just don't. And I get it has to do with the body. I get it has to do with looking inward, breathing, but that's the depth of my knowledge of it. I really am mm. very new to this. So mm. talking with you, I, I thought, should I do some research ahead of time? Or should I approach this genuinely and just say, look, I don't, <laughs> this is very new to me. I get mm. it has value, but I can't describe it further than that. Yeah, so, so interesting. Yeah, I, I think, I wonder, I, I, I mean, I'm not affected one way or the other by them calling it bullshit. I'm, I, that it just amuses me because um, <laughs> stretching in and of itself isn't bullshit. Right. In, yeah. you know, like there's so many uh, wonderful things that stretching can do for your vasculature, for yeah. your your nervous system, for uh, helping your um, uh, quiet your stretch reflexes and, mm. and tamp down on on pain. Like there's lots of things that stretching is good for. So um, in in the yoga space, when we are doing different, there's so many different modes of stretching too. Like so that's why it's like it, that's not enough saying, oh, it's just stretching. It's like, okay, well, let's go down that rabbit hole and talk about all the different ways bodies can stretch and then what what those mean to a body physiologically. Right, Um, yeah. So I'm going to call bullshit on Penn & Teller. I I love them. They're fantastic. But I I might know more about anatomy and physiology than they do. Right, yeah. This is, it's absolutely... I might know more about comedy, though. (laughs) Or magic, maybe. This is completely fascinating to me. I... I approach this like, I'm going to learn something. I'm not going to pretend like I know what the heck I'm talking about. I'll just be honest with it and say, look, I'm here to learn. And so when I say, let's start with the basics, like I personally, I mean it, like help me out here. I I think there's people listening that are curious about yoga. I have a lot of people that follow me and listen that are into yoga already, but I think there's also people that are curious about it or have tried it and like it didn't feel right. And I don't like being still. I don't like this stuff and got scared Mm -hmm. away. So Mm -hmm. I kind of want to revisit the basics. Yes. And really like, let's look at, this can be a safe process or maybe should be a safe process. Um, and this is how to make it so. And all, you know, all these little pieces that seem basic to me, I, I think for my audience, I want to make sure we are on the same page and speaking the same language, language with it, you know? And then um, hopefully the people who have some experience just enjoy listening to you as well and get more out of it. But for me, this is really like, let's connect to the polyvagal theory. Okay. Let's cover, let's cover some basics too. Cool. You know? Um, and I'm absolutely thinking about trauma survivors and how is yoga safe for them? It sounds like at least the way you do it, and I don't know other um, studios or workshops or whatever. I don't know. If you, could, the, you mentioned the McDonald's style where it's very cookie cutter, but it sounds like what you're doing is uh, there's a big emphasis on safety and being in the moment in a very safe way. Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, I'm just always reading the room. I always go into uh, my rooms with a plan and then I... I just try to get as much feedback from my students just in those first moments where people are gathering and I'm making eye contact. And, oh, how's your daughter? How was the vacation? Or, um, oh, you're new here today. What brings you here? You know, so just trying to find that ventral, that yeah. ventral vagal engagement. Yeah. And then also introducing, I mean, the way I talk about my work is that this is, so for those of listeners who are familiar with different yoga styles, like my work is not a uh, vinyasa flow type of yoga. It's very um, anatomically based. It's looking for what we call body blind spots, areas of overuse, underuse, misuse, abuse, or body confusion, and helping to um, people to develop more acuity and proprioception and in interoception. And so this puts us smack dab into 
going through the ladder in many different ways with um, position, breath, uh, mindset work, and um, and then hopefully a lot of novelty to keep people's interest when positions uh, feel confrontational. So like, for example, um, leading people through shoulder isolation work where they're learning about their scapula thoracic joint, right? Learning about how your scapula moves on your rib cage, how that's related to breathing, how it's related to the movement of your humerus, your, your arm essentially. And, and then what that means to, what that means to your lungs and heart, what that means to the connective tissues that are holding up your rib cage and then spooling into your lungs and heart. And then we can have a conversation about um, the sympathetic zone, right? And, and how to impact it in different ways. So um, I'm always trying to uh, use, uh, I mean, I, I mean my, my teaching has, in my background, the polyvagal theory is always at work. So I'm either uh, messing around sort of in the gut zone, not, I don't say messing around, but I'm yeah, yeah. either doing things that are manipulating the gut zone. We manipulate it deliberately with, um, with a tool called the gorgeous ball, which is a, a, a visceral massage tool or a respirational massage tool. You know, and I would say on, in a bigger picture in terms of uh, yoga in general, uh, breath is so important. Most yoga formats place a heavy emphasis on breathing um, and breathing mechanics. And so that will, it'll differ from school to school and from teacher to teacher or how informed people are about, you know, the anatomy of respiration. Um, but as you know, um, breathing directly changes autonomic state. And so that is something that is of great interest to most yoga teachers and practitioners of yoga, that's usually the hardest on-ramp for them. Um, because when you start manipulating breathing, it is it can make you feel very ill, it can make you feel queasy, it can make you feel dizzy, it can make you um, have, uh, it messes with your physiology in a way and it, and it changes your interoceptive um, awareness. And, but that discomfort eventually, you know, can be titrated and managed through, of course, coming back and coming back um, and playing with, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you, you have some, you have some wonderful experience, um, that's well guided by an experienced teacher, um, that even though some of those discomforts or recognizing, ah, you know, my breathing, um, I'm missing some corners essentially in my own breath mechanics. And, um, and that's a wonderful place to start exploring. Um, especially if you are a person who's prone to anxiety or panic. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. that's something that it's a, it's an incredible tool to change state, um, to change, to change state quickly. And then if you're, uh, more of a person who is stuck in that dorsal, um, you know, there are what we would call balancing breaths that help to upregulate you and drag you out of that um, sort of that turpor. Can you that... can you explain what that looks like a little bit more? Yeah. So, well, so one, it's breath ratios. So um, a sedating breath, and this is something that all everybody will know from polyvagal theory, is a breath where the exhale is longer than the inhale. An upregulating breath is a breath where the inhale is longer than the exhale. 
Um, but there are other um, there are other parts of the wave of breath that can also be manipulated. So if you think of breath as being um, a, a, a four-part thing, you have an inhale, and then you have a transition where the inhale converts to an exhale. And so within that transition, which I call suspension, there could be a breath hold in there. And so if I'm extremely um, tamasic, which is a, 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 an Ayurvedic term for like, you know, heavy down is that, that right. Dorsal vagal yeah, 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 yeah. thing. I would want to amplify my inhales and breath holds after inhalation and have shorter exhales with the pause after exhale be shorter than the to sum total of inhale plus the breath hold. So then I have the exhale plus what I call vacation. So after mm. exhale, nothing happens. Right. And you'll just notice this while you're sitting here, either talking to me, Justin, that you'll have not been breathing. And then all of a sudden you'll feel yourself inhale. Right, right. So so the transition between exhale and inhale, typically when we're relaxed, um, is is quite long because our metabolic needs are not that high. I mean, you're sitting in a chair. Um, I'm sitting and I'm talking to you. So I have like tons of ex extended exhalations going on right now because I'm doing public speaking. Um, but so for, which is relaxing, even though the stress of public speaking, right? I so totally get it, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, <laughs> so for, for our more amplified people, such as me, so I'm an extremely sympathetically oriented person, which is why yoga for the past, you know, yoga and yoga practices for the past 30 something years um, have been my, my way to self-soothe. Um, uh, I love the down regulation practices because it just helps me to get quiet, listen in, and go into safe shutdown. I, I wish I didn't have to use that that term, but a stillness, safe, right? Repose, repose, repose. Okay, I think I, the word I've usually used is it's uh, and tell me if, if I get this wrong is shutdown plus being safe and social, right? So and we call that stillness as like a mixed state. That's the way I've been referring to it, at least. Uh, y yes. Yes. So um, that would be in the context of a, you know, of like a group class. But, you know, uh, the way I practiced for years was by myself. And then some and then I would go to group class. But if if I weren't going to group class, I would practice for you know two or three hours by myself um, so that I could get that state and just hold it close. Right. So it was my it was my licking my wounds. It was my healing sort of crisis. Um, and I used yoga. I talk about this a lot. I used yoga. I overused yoga. I overdosed on it. And I have a total hip replacement to prove it. Um, cause I, I overdid my own, um, my own, um, yeah, my own self soothing in that, um, uh, and then in the meantime, I avoided doing hard drugs and alcohol and all the other stuff, but like, it's not something it's that, you would often hear like what, what she overdid yoga. Like yeah, <laughs> people can overdo kettlebells. They can overdo running. They can overdo um, everything. So I overdid yoga. Yeah. So what, what does it look like to breathe? You, you described how to come up to upregulate. Yep. Down regulating that you're describing. What does that look like in practice? So we got the upregulating, which is um, also with the upregulating, we want to also employ movements that the person feels challenged by, but comfortable and playful. 
So I okay. think those are our ways of really helping um, people. You know, I work with people who are in chronic pain. It's one of my favorite communities to work with. And um, it's just finding ways of helping them to also focus on what does feel good. You know, like, you know, what what about how about your earlobes? How do they feel like? Let's concentrate our awareness there. Does hearing hurt? Does hearing things hurt? How does that feel? So, I mean, we can take any sensory virtue and then we can expand the experience of it to a more whole body thing and also take that into uh, movement coupled with breath. And then something else that we use and a lot of yoga, um, uh, yoga spaces use is a, a sankalpa, which is a deep resolve. Like in the sports and fitness space, you would call this a mindset. But like, for example, for somebody who um, uh, was in class because they want to move, they know that um, they're, uh, you know, that they, they want to come out of this experience of, of heaviness and um, not seeing bright in the world, um, then you would potentially help facilitate uh, a sankalpa such as um, I, I touch light. I mean, that just sounds so corny, but like I touch light or I, I, my motion is moving. Is it? Hi, what? Lila. My daughter just came in. Oh. Hey, sweetie, you want to gymnastics now? Did Asher get a shot? Yes, Asher got a shot today. Why? So it, why? Well, it was his three-year checkup. This is my friend, Justin. Hey, Lila, how you doing? Good. <laughs> How old is she? She's five. She's five. Cute. Yeah. There's a couple things that really jumped out at me. And well, actually the, the biggest one was you called it uh body blind spots. Yes. Did I get that right? Can you talk a little bit more about that? That, uh, that really intrigued me. Oh, good. <laughs> I like talking about body blind spots. Okay, let's that's do part this. of my pedagogy. Okay. So body blind spots in yoga tune up and the role model. These are, we call these areas of overuse underuse, misuse, abuse, or confuse, body confusion. And so what we're really referring to with these body blind spots are um, areas that uh, are not, and go back to the body confuse, these are areas that you're not really sensing that well. So there's a sensory shutdown in potentially in a certain area, or it's a, it's a spot that has been so overworked that you're getting really um, confusing feedback from or constant pain. And so all the practices I teach, which include the rolling joint awareness, breath and mindset, what they're designed to do is to help you troubleshoot your way to navigate your way through your own anatomy. So it moves you towards embodiment. And really what that means is feeling welcome in your own home and being able to identify identify through sense and motor control um, your soma. You mentioned um, starting with even small things, like you mentioned the earlobe and then kind of sure. developing from there. So is that how to start addressing body blind spots is becoming curious about maybe pick a spot and then grow from there? Um, typically, no. Typically, okay. uh, it, typically, what I will do is in a class, I will have people begin in, 
in a partial corpse pose. So they'll be laying on their back with their knees bent, their soles of their feet on the floor. We call this half corpse pose. Um, and I'll direct their awareness. So I'll invite them to direct their awareness to usually um, how they're breathing, how they're, what their autonomic breath pattern is. So we all have our, I love Deb Dana's podcast, we all have our, our home base with, yeah, our, yeah. with our breath. Yeah. And depending on what just happened moments ago or what's going on in your mind right now, or your habit of respiration from age you know, nine onward, you know, we tend to concentrate our breathing in one of three places. One is subdiaphragmatic, um, and that's the gut area. And that is, that is a, a passive uh, breath pattern that uh, means that you're in a very calm, relaxed state. Um, then we have the, the second zone of respiration, which is supradiaphragmatic but subclavicular. So this is the ribcage zone, and it aligns directly with the sympathetic zone in the, in the ladder of polyvagal theory. Or third, in the supraclavicular zone. Um, in the supraclavicular zone, in respiration, you're in a high-stress state. Uh, in polyvagal theory, the supraclavicular zone is our ventral vagal zone. So um, the vagal influence and respiration have some um, paradoxical, uh, you know, it's like not one-to-one. -one. Um, but people who are in chronic high-stress states uh, or smokers or people who are, tend to, um, you know, have chronic asthma or panic are going to have a lot of supraclavicular tension, right? A habit of supraclavicular tension, their body's, you know, hanging on to any air that they can get in, which actually is not a lot of air. And so, um, I help people to become familiar with, um, how they might, um, inhabit these different zones. And then we do movements, breath patterns, massage, um, to help ideally balance them. So they're in an abdominal thoracic breath, um, a gut rib cage breath, which then would fall in line with a more um, sympathetic dorsal toggle so that we're going back and forth in terms of, of um, body awareness and body, um, body tuning um, into those areas and then trying to minimize any use of respiratory muscles that are above the, above the, above the clavicle. Um, and, and by doing that, you end up having a, a ton of awareness that's not filtered by the tensions in the upper body, right? So like your, your trapezius muscle, the traps, I call them a trap, um, because if they're always tight, they're, you're not going to be able to actually even sense the, uh, the subdiaphragmatic or supradiaphragmatic environment. So, um, in terms of like zones of respiration and zones of vagal influence, I love teaching all of that anatomically and physiologically. Um, but there's a lot to, there's a lot of charts and diagrams and things to unpack, but in a class, in a class, it's really apparent because you'll see people hiking their shoulders up when they're breathing, which is only necessary if there's an emergency or you need to, you know, you, you need to like, push a safe across the floor, push a sofa across the floor. You don't really need to breathe up there unless you, you know, you've been running laps in the, in the world cup and you, you know, need to just lean over and let your shoulders hike up. But someone who's sympathetically active, they it seems like they breathe up here a lot, at least in therapy. I'm noticing that exactly. they, it's all like in their shoulders. It's, it's weird when I first noticed like you're breathing into your shoulders. That, that really struck me once I started noticing that. And, but it, a lot of people do yes. that. 
So becoming aware of that is the first thing. And I mean, I still have, you know, I, I, I have frequent anxiety triggers, especially with my toddlers. Um, uh, you know how that goes, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. And, um, and then just watching and feeling the, cause I unfortunately, or for better, or for worse, I am interoceptively, uh, like an interoceptive, uh, over interoceptively, over interoceptively attuned. So, you know, I feel, I feel everything, which is a horrible distraction. So I work a lot on um, trying to get, yeah. get external cues in my life um, because I'm very, I'm very internally um, aware of things that are going on. So when I get triggered and feeling those feels like popcorn exploding, you know, right behind my heart and then, then the, the little sort of internal fingers poking and trying to lift my shoulders up and face getting red and hot. It's amazing. It's a, knowing polyvagal theory and then watching your own triggers occur. Um, and then two hours later, the diarrhea, it's just like, this is all amazing to watch this happening. Um, you know, and, and there's still more ventral vagal engagement work to be done. Always, right? Yeah. Really hope you enjoyed part one of my chat with Jill Miller. Take a look at the show notes, and there are links there to some of the stuff that we talked about and a whole lot more. Do me a favor, though, and just screenshot your phone and share it on Instagram or on Twitter or wherever you like. Uh, but if you, if you enjoyed this interview, let your friends and followers and family know about it. So just give your phone a screenshot and post it. Thanks.